Welcome to Combustible. Uh, we just finished up uh, another podcast in our Mulligan series. Again, just a lot of fun uh, doing the Mulligan series. This is an opportunity for us to get together and kind of rehash some calls and uh, really talk about those ones we wish we could have done over. Um, today we went over uh, Bill's Mulligan, and that was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, so um, my Mulligan was a, uh, a call at a townhome probably 10 years ago by now, I guess. Um, I actually have the date on my calendar because it it was a fire that kind of uh, stuck with me enough that I wanted to remember the date. Well, I don't remember it because I have to have my calendar reminded me, but you get the point. I get the point. Um, it came in just after 6 o'clock, uh, which in our department, our battalion chiefs uh, changed shift a, an hour before uh, all of the station personnel. And I was a station captain riding uh, as a battalion chief that day. And about 6, 10 or so, the call comes in, uh, townhome on fire. And when I pulled into the complex, which I was one of the first units there, if not the first, I can't remember. When you pull in, you could see the seaside of that row of townhomes. And the entire uh, second and third floor were on fire, you could see. I don't want to say it had broken through the windows yet, but you could see fire everywhere. We got around to the A side. There was a hydrant right in front of the building. It was the end of the town, the the end of the five uh, on the Bravo side, the end unit. There was a woman and a child uh, standing out front. They said that everybody was out. The garage door was up. There was no fire in the garage, but you could see fire second, third floor again. And uh, because of the volume of fire and because I had two engines and an aerial there, really quickly uh, I made the decision that we were just going to hit it with the aerial real quick and try and knock it knock it down really good before we tried an interior attack uh, the tiller got set up real uh, real quick that was my crew um, so I knew how fast they could do that they set up uh, we hit the second floor and then they moved to the third floor while that was happening uh, a manpower crew that I had coming in uh, I tasked them with going into the exposure on the delta side and uh, checking for conditions because I expected it to be in the attic uh, running the building. And when they got to the third floor, they radioed that they didn't even have a wisp of smoke, nothing. Uh, and I'm looking at a building that's, you know, the, the middle and the top floor are completely involved. And I've got guys standing in the neighboring townhome who, if they hadn't seen it when they walked in, wouldn't have known it was on fire. So that was one of the first things that kind of got me thinking wrong. Um, But uh, as we were flowing lots of water off this tillered aerial, uh, the other half of that manpower crew was on the Bravo side on the ground. And I asked the officer to evaluate the interior to transition to an interior attack. You know, can we put people in the building? He went in off the Bravo side through a man door, and uh, I'm standing in the driveway uh, looking into the open garage. I can see him go in and start to go up the stairs. He goes up to at least the first landing, and talking to him later, he, he said when he got up there, he looked up and couldn't see. The stairs were burned out. Um, so, you know, he's saying, hey, we're not going interior on this. In his mind, that's what he's saying. But rather than getting on the radio... He decided to come down the stairs, and because he could see me through the garage, decides to walk through the garage and out into the driveway to face-to-face with me to say, 
don't put any people in the building. As he's coming through the garage, he clears the door to the garage, and he couldn't have taken more than a step or two past where that door was. When the third floor pancake collapsed to the second floor, and then both of those pancaked into the garage. And I remember running. Um, I think I might have made it close to that tiller, if not under the tiller, because in my head I thought that whole thing was coming down. What really ended up happening was the, the floors pancaked, but the, uh, the outer walls stood. Um, we ended up fighting fire a little bit there, trying to put out the, uh, the hot spots and the stuff. The, uh, the stuff on the, the outer walls that was still on fire. But um, what ended up happening was the weight of the water that we were putting in off that tiller was just too much for the type of construction that it was. And, and my mistake, and why, why this is my mulligan, is that I, I wanted to, I got sucked into believing that that thing was built a whole lot stronger than it was because of the firewall. And the firewall ended up, I'd never seen a firewall like this, um, and I don't know if it was new at the time or if I just hadn't seen it, but the firewall was not brick. When we went and looked at it, it was actually sheetrock, double layer of sheetrock. Um, I'm sorry, let me back up. There was the sheetrock that was on the inside of a room, let's say. Then you had the stud. Then you had double layer of sheetrock. There was a waterproof membrane, double layer of sheetrock, stud, and then the sheetrock on the neighboring apartment. So you had, uh, what's that, six pieces of sheetrock with a waterproof membrane that made up this firewall. And it did such a good job of keeping the fire from getting into the exposure that it lulled me into thinking that it was a very, very well-built, strong building, when in actuality it was a new townhome. It had, you know, truss systems in the floors that aren't designed to hold up that kind of a load. And looking back on it, I should have seen that it was going to collapse from the get-go. I mean, just with the, the fire involvement that, that we had, uh, it, it had not burned down into the second floor into the floor system on the second floor. All the fire was above that. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that. It had definitely weakened the floor on the third floor, but the weight of the water is truly just what brought it all down. So if I had it to do over again, that's what I would do. We, I'm sure we talked about it uh, in, in some kind of a critique. I honestly don't remember. Uh, the captain that almost got uh, squished, uh, he and I both talked about it hours later. And uh, I ended up, in the following years, teaching uh, AOIC classes and new captain's classes where we would use that uh, fire as an example just to talk about building construction and knowing what you've got out there and don't make these mistakes. So I tried to pass on what I had learned uh, to those other people so that they don't end up making that same mistake. But that's the one that I've got to do over. What would you do over on that incident? If you had to pick the number one thing saying, man, if I... I would have... I don't think we would have changed anything about using the aerial. I still think the aerial was the way to go. Um, there was too much fire, and based on... I didn't know it at the time, but based on what uh, that captain saw, we weren't going to be able to make it up the stairs. Um, based on what I know about the... the building construction, we know the floor system is going to be weak, so I think I would have done tactically the same thing, but I would have anticipated the collapse. That's the, the piece that I didn't, that, that I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be surprised today when it collapses. Uh, 
I still would not assume that those outer walls weren't going to collapse. I, that that still surprises me that they stood, you know, as long as they did uh, without any kind of internal support. Yeah, uh, you know, based on uh, radio traffic that we talk about all the time, uh, so I'm assuming that you know, the building construction was just ordinary because there's only two ordinary and non-ordinary. That's all anybody ever says. <laughs> <laughs> Built the ordinary way, <laughs> but I'm assuming it's wood frame, right? Yes, right. yes. Right. For those, uh, that was a joke. Yeah. Um, uh, the question I have, or, or I guess comment I have, is, you know, you're saying that you should have known, or whatever, you were led into thinking that. But what about the other captain? He had no reservation about going in it either. No, and he's experienced as well. Uh, yeah, more than more than I. You know, so more than I am. Both of you were lulled into thinking that this was a stable structure. So I don't, I don't know if so much of that was a mistake on your part. Just, I mean, he had no hesitation about going. Yeah, I just well, and I, I mean, I'm. We've actually, that captain and I have actually had a lot of discussions through the years about that fire because I ended up taking, and this is going to sound overly sentimental, I have a piece of that building that I took with me that I wore on my turnout gear. And you can't tell what it is, but I kept it on my turnout gear. And it's there to always remind me of just how close I came to getting somebody killed. And his argument is, you know, hey, you know, like you said, I put myself in that situation. Instead of coming out the door that I should have gone back out, I decided to walk through the garage. There are all these things that he says I made decisions. But if he'd have made that radio transmission, which you know a lot of people think is the better way to go, raise a situational awareness right. for everybody, right? It would have collapsed on. But it, it, would well, you say that he was following blindly, or he made? You know, sometimes we, you say, go check the interior. I go check the interior. As opposed uh, knowing to this individual, I, I, I always keep my head on the swivel. Okay. They don't know the, the, the so the, the audience. Well, doesn't I'm know saying, the and I'm talking about myself personally. You know, no matter who's giving me an assignment, I keep my head on the swivel. Right. That, you know, the situation. You know, because you're talking about a guy who's outside. You know, they may they may not see it the way that you see it. Or, right. You know. I, I tell firefighters all the time, just because the person riding the seat is in charge doesn't mean that they always are going to make the right call. You, It is your responsibility to stay up on everything and pay attention in what's going on. And I don't mean, you know, to be mutinous, you know, is that a word, mutinous? Yeah. Uh, you know, to come in. But you might want to throw the suggestion in and you know, say, go interior, like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a good right. idea. There's a little too high heat. We probably need to vent this first, or whatever the situation is. Well, Provide them some and that some first context. that first floor that 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 garage. Literally, there's no fire. There's no smoke. You know, it's like you're looking into a regular old garage. There's a ton of water coming down the stairs, right? You know, but um, it's not like going into a, a, an inferno. And you know, and and I don't. He's right, you know, he does, he made choices, and, and I don't disagree with that, but ultimately, as the incident commander, right, that, it's my fire. Well, it comes you back know? to that conversation we have all the time, you know, right. can you live with the call that you make? Right. You guys think this is easy, it's just riding the car, or it's just riding up, I've done it before, but when it's your deal and it's your time, can you live with it? Have right. you been enough of a professional to prepare yourself to make the best decision possible? Well, and the the irony of it for me is that I'm sure there were people on scene that when I said, we're putting the aerial up and we're going to hit this from the outside, there was a groan that went out, crap. 
You know, we're not committing people it, it into hard it. From exactly, and that wasn't even a thing back then. <laughs> yeah, but right. here we are doing it, and I'm sure there were people on scene that were not happy about that. But the irony for me is, is that that action is what well, actually almost got so, well, well, it almost got somebody hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the weight of that water that we put in as fast as we did is what almost caused this person to get hurt. So, so was your master stream operations not extinguishing the fire? No, it was putting fire out. So why did you want to change to an interior? Uh, we were just, I, I wanted to go in and mop up. Hmm. See, And I probably was, a, I probably was pushed by that. There probably was that thing in the back of my head thinking that everybody was we chomping had, at the bit to go interior and right. I'm going to have to so let them play. It's that little bit of pride right. thing. Of, you know, not, right. and I, I talked about it in mind, not that we're going to reflect back to that. Right. But we had a similar situation in, in one of my division chiefs specifically I had, we had three of the most talented senior uh, background commanders on this fire, and it had been defensive, and they send individuals in to mop up, just like right. you're talking, and part of the roof collapses and pins a firefighter to the to the ground to the point that he's uh, I want to say he's getting his buttocks burned or whatever, right. and it took them 15 minutes to get out. If he had not been in top physical position, uh, uh, or not position, uh, condition. Uh, and had not been uh, the way he was pinned exactly, he could not get to his regulator, and he was not being crushed, but he couldn't breathe fully. Right. And I think it took him like 15 minutes to get him out, you know, but he went to the burn. They changed, the for us, we changed that once we go to a master stream, we never put people back inside. No. You know, because of that, because right. of the, the potential, that water, if it was dangerous, it's not like it's getting better. Right. <laughs> it's still getting worse. So if it was so dangerous in the beginning, I mean... Dangerous by fire, obviously. Right. Uh, so I, I can definitely see that, that that concept of, but but again, we've done it for years and gotten away with it. Sure. Well, if we go in and mop up and stuff like that, and like I say, you know, it works right up until the time it doesn't work anymore. Right. You know, and then we just keep, you know, we have to change how we do this. But just like you said, that change, we get the groans from the, the you know, the seasoned guys, you know, right. that don't want to get in there and eat some smoke. And I get it. You know, I'm, I'm all about that too. There's not a lot of fun to, you know, man, a defensive fire. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's not what you're on the job for, but you want to go home at the end of the day. You, you want to cash the paycheck and yeah. pick your kids up. So, Well, and the funny thing was, and I, I mean, that's not funny, but the funny thing was is that uh, there was no damage to the exposure on the Delta side. All the way through the collapse, there was no damage. It was during wetting it down with aerials after that that an aerial with its smoothbore tip poked a hole through six layers of sheetrock and flooded in an instant, you know, I mean, it took them maybe 10 seconds to shut the line down once we knew that we had poked through the, the wall, but it completely flooded the apartment next door. There was no damage up until we, you know, mm-hmm. and it just, uh, I don't know, it was like, <laughs> you, know, you have to go tell those people. I had told them, you know, You're hey, good. you are good. There is no damage. Oh, no, wait, we just flooded yeah, your entire townhome. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's on. It's on the third floor right now, so it's limited to third floor. But it's, it'll work. Its it's way gonna down. work its way down. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't. I don't know about uh, you know how much you should feel you know angst about that because I, I think, like I said, you know, you, you both kind of got lulled into it a little bit, and it's it's a tactic that we've yeah. done. You know, just like I said, you know, our, our very senior people, we did the same thing, and the fact that you uh, you know stay 
keyed into that this was you know a mistake this was some me being lulled into a decision a false decision you know carrying the piece of the equipment with you having it on your calendar i mean right it's a definitely never forget lesson right you know it's sad that we have to be like that well and it's but that's i think that's the the key with any of the calls that we go on the ones that are the big ones that that stay with us and even the little ones that you you learn from every time you go out every time that you're taking some piece from that call to the next one either something that hey this was a good decision or this was a bad decision and let's you know let's avoid this or you know the next time I see this I'm going to know what it is Um, getting out and you know seeing these buildings when they're getting built has became a little more important to me after that call and I found a firewall in a building that they were building somewhere else in, in our department that was the same thing and when I saw it you know of course instantly I'm like ah, I know what this is you know because one of the one of the younger guys on the truck was like I don't understand what they're doing right here I know exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. let me tell you what it will do in a fire you know um, so just keeping that with you and I'm, I'm not talking about carrying a torch or something like that you know but and it, it is a little ridiculous for me to carry around a piece of the building but I do it <laughs> you still do it? Uh, I actually took it off my coat because that captain told you to. Yeah, he he's he did not like me having that with me. But it's not a piece. It's it's a piece of something out of the garage. And I actually asked the the owner, the the woman there, before I took it. I said, "Can I take you know this this garage door is toast? Um, can I take one of these this little piece?" And she said, "Yeah, and, you know, but you'd never you'd never recognize what it is." Yeah, I do the same thing with a letter of counseling, but I think it's different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I think it, this is what makes the podcast so valuable and the, the discussions because there's a lot of things that you'll you'll experience that when you bring them out, all of a sudden it changes your perspective because I haven't been in that scenario before right. and definitely not getting into a controversial subject or going down this avenue at all. But with the studies that we've discussed many of many times coming out where you know soften the fire knock it down before you go inside how much flow you're putting inside we got to really start thinking about how much water are we introducing into a structure and i'm not talking putting an inch and three quarter and you know darken it down then going inside but how much water are we putting in a building right prior to going in if we go in and what what are you now putting them in? There's already a hazard with the fire and the smoke and right. the building construction we have today. So now let's you know dump a few thousand gallons of water into the second floor of a two story single family, and then let's send crews in there. It gets practiced every day successfully, yeah. but it definitely something that a lot of us haven't experienced that. So you experience that, yeah. and all of a sudden, in my mind, I'm going, yeah, we've done that a million times. You go outside, you dump some water into it, then you go inside and finish it up. Yeah, and you know, the water's going to find its way out of the building. It's coming down the stairs, but you're not thinking about the water that just got soaked up into the couch. Saturated water. into the yeah. carpet, and, you know. Which poses, just, you know, I would say, because I'm thinking of a recent event that took place here where uh, I was inside, a single-family residence, and I was inside, and we put a lot of water into this uh, residence and it was a, a home a hoarder home two story and I remember going in there and inviting command you got a very very heavy fire load and there was been compromise to the mm-hmm. floor and the stairs just to say 
you know, I went outside and did a face-to-face afterwards so I can use the right language, which is, man, that place is full of crap. And right. I wouldn't put crews on, on that second floor. Well, what ends up happening then is now your mop-up isn't as robust as it normally is to make sure you don't get a rekindle. But now you're compromising yourself because you may end up with a secondary fire that comes out later on because you don't put crews on that floor to start mm-hmm. yanking everything out because the floor is compromised. So there's, you know, that we've said it often in the, in the past and I've said it, our job is complex. It's not that simple. Right. There's so many decisions that, to, that could be made and we will often base it on the outcome. But if you say, hey, let's go ahead and and uh, put that area up, dump a bunch of water into it. Let's let's call it a day. We're not putting crews in there. We've compromised it too much weight. And you end up with it lighting up again or, or whatever the case may be. What about a secondary collapse when they go in there to do an inspection of it? The, you know, the, uh, the investigation uh, process goes. It's just our job is extremely complex. And like you were saying, Hash, the decisions that we make could end up being catastrophic if you're not I mean it, it, we just carry a lot of weight in our decision making right everybody's looking at me now yeah. right. say that's, a, no, great, no, no. that's I mean, a great incident I mean, it, it is and, and like I said you know to, to go defensive or to throw a lot of water in, into a structure and then to go in and, and send up somebody to mop up what we have done now because uh, you're right, you could kind of rekindle, you know, especially with something that could be deep-seated in a, in a hoarder, you know, although that's eclectic shoring, if you look at it the right way. If it's floor-to-ceiling, you know, it can't really fall if it has nowhere to go. You can't crush a full can- Coke can. Um, <laughs> sorry, these thoughts just pop into my head and i got to get them out. Uh, we, we set up fire watch, you know. We do as much as we can. We let the crews go back, decon, clean up. Because that's becomes another thing too. Mm-hmm. How many decisions do we make to kind of appease the crews that are there? You know, are we going to keep them twice as long and have them picking at stuff from the outside, or are we going to you right. know, make a choice? And, and so, you know, you're talking about we making decisions based off of uh, you know what's happened before, but how many decisions are we making off of pride? Or, oh, yeah. or or influence or not wanting to disappoint the guys. You know, we'll send them in. Maybe you know, I should have done that. I, I knew better than that. So we set up a fire watch. You know, it, it's a little bit more intensive. You know, pull units that didn't respond or whatever. But it's so that if something starts back up or lights back up or starts smoking, it doesn't end up in a big situation. We can handle it small. Yeah. And, and I gotta say, for this incident, we have a lot of resources to do. For this incident that I'm talking about, we all actually do have fire watch, and it literally went up. And I don't want to get into that specific incident, but in in defense of the department and the crews and everybody involved, there was a fire watch, and it literally started 10 minutes, 20 minutes before the next fire watch rotation was due where the next crew was going to go check on it. Um, so our, when we say fire watch, what we do is we we check the residents every X amount of time. So if it's a two-hour rotation. Oh, no, ours is we actually stay there. The oh, okay, time. I got We, we mm. sit there, and then for two hours or whatever, then the next gotcha. engine comes in and sits there. Okay, so the, on a – You're doing drive-bys. You're doing drive-bys, correct. You're doing quick inspections. You're doing a recheck. Because that's what I was about to say. How did, how did it get so advanced, you know, if you're sitting right there? Well – yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. But, you know, I, I will say, and again, I don't want to get into that incident. We'll talk about it another day. <laughs> Although we're way into it right we're, now. I know we're way into it now. <laughs> Luckily, the whole thing was actually caught on video, and you're able to review it. And I'll tell you one of the things that when I saw the video blew me away is how quickly it went from a little bit of smoke to 
the whole thing's lit up. So and this is after the fire. This is after the fire. This is reconstruction. So a lot of it should be wet, you know. Right. A lot of it was wet. There was a lot of wire dumped enough. That's, that's, that's water that's dumped enough to to the point where, again, my concern as interior was, I wouldn't put too many people up there to start scrounging around in there because the house it was there was huge hazard. Uh, just with the amount of stuff in there and also the possibility for a collapse of people up in the top floor taking stuff down and all that. So, again, in in my mind, as you're telling your story, I'm going, well, we took the proper precautions. Don't send anybody up there. But then the outcome is totally different. We don't have right. an immediate hazard like took place at you. But then you end up with that almost like when you went through the wall where we're like, hey, it's pretty good. We stopped it. There's something yeah. to be done. And then all of a sudden you come back, you know, a little bit later. It's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little yeah, worse than we it's originally a bit worse than we anticipated. So, uh, f- for me, I look at it, and again, we have such a complex job with so many decisions to make, and sometimes you're you're trying to do the best with the information that you have, with the tactics that you put forward, and unfortunately, a lot of what we end up looking at is the outcome. So. And in this particular case, it could have cost somebody their life. So I'm mm-hmm. looking at it now and, and my nuggets going, are you really looking at your water flow? Whether you're officer, firefighter, or, or, or outside commanding a scene, are you really paying attention to how much water flow is taking place? And more often than not, I can tell you as a company officer and as a firefighter, I was there to put the fire out. So I know how, you know, I'm watching the uh, water flow, of course, but I'm not really fully aware and paying attention to, man, we're, we got multiple lines going. We're really dumping some water. It's throwing a thousand gallons a minute, eight pounds per gallon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Let me do the math. It's running off at a probably, you know, yeah. 200 gallons a minute. Right. Something yeah. Bill would do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Not, not, not in this instance. No, not in this instance at all. You got uh, 136.7 million gallons of water right now. But it, it comes down to more like rule of thumbs, you know, and, yeah. and, and you know, using that prime recognition decision making of what has worked in the past and this is how I'm going to do it now. Uh, so I agree, you know, it's a lot of the outcome is how it does, but uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, changing that operational model. You know, we just have to get out of that concept is that, you know, we're going to send people into something that that we didn't like uh, initially, you know, because of the, the fire involvement and the building being deteriorated that we're going to send them in to mop up. Yeah, that cultural thing, which I agree, it's like one way or another, we're going in there. At one point or another, we got to go in there. We got to make sure somebody sets uh, 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 And I can, I can there. hear the guys on the scene. I can oh, yeah. hear them oh, yeah. grumbling and stuff. Ah, oh, they're being too safe. I'm about right up until it's their buddy that got right. hurt. You know, yeah. and, 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 you know, we, we know these individuals, you know, we, 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 I am that individual. I have so many times I could tell you and throw myself under the bus right now where I'm sitting in there and they're either pulling us out or not letting us go in. And I'm like, we can put this out. Just let me, right. you know, so, uh, you fast forward and that's immaturity, lack of experience. Now, sometimes there are cases where I'm like, if you would have let us in there, we would have put this out. But nonetheless, I'd rather hold you back than try to yeah. figure out a way to get and you some, in there. <laughs> some, yeah, somebody wise told me one day, you know, the chief's job is to draw the line in the sand because we're willing to push a lot further. At, you know, whether you if, at a firefighter, I, I'll scoot a mile. I'll go a lot further because only really I'm kind of responsible for myself. And then as you move up to the seat, you're responsible for the crew. You get a little bit more cautious about things. We're still going to do our due diligence. We're going to do right. the job. We're going to be aggressive, but you're a little bit more cautious. You got a little bit more knowledge and more experience under you. And now you're sitting at a chief and you got an entire battalion responding to an incident that you're responsible for. 
you got to draw the line in the sand. Uh, right, but this gets back to other stuff that's really kind of off topic, but it takes trust. They have to trust you when you draw that line in the sand. Yep. Otherwise, it's not even a line. And it's that's, where, like, my that's, question, that's right where my question came from before knowing the individual. Was it blind trust or not? And I, I wasn't posing that as a, like a negative question where they're just following you blindly and this guy doesn't know what he's doing as much as it is for anybody that sits in this table pretty much like, hey, Troj, can you go ahead and check this for me? I may be quicker to do it with less thought than somebody else because true. of the trust level. So if right. you or any of you guys are trust, yeah. I need you to go to the second floor and do this. I'm that's a solid guy. Floor. He's not going yeah, to put me in that position. He wouldn't ask you to do this if he wasn't sure. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking, you know, I would I would say that I would be lying if I didn't tell you that if I got instructions from some of you guys that I, I wouldn't say I would follow blindly, but I would definitely be quicker to take action without That's a good thought. point for yeah. the trust level. I, I wasn't thinking of it like that, but yeah, that's a really good point. You know, and I've done the opposite where I trusted somebody and I told them whatever, and they pushed, you know, and broke that trust. And, you know, right. I, I'm like stage at the doorway and the next thing I know they're inside. Oh, yeah. Like, Gosh, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the other thing I was going to ask. You know, all right, does it change your decision-making model because she told you nobody was in there? On that fire, no. There was so much fire on the second, third floor. If they were in there, they were dead. Right, right. I mean... So you, you, you were... All right. And that's the sad part of, of these situations, and you guys know it. When you make these decisions, you're making it on the fly, limited information, and then when it's being critiqued, they have all the time yeah. in the world and all the information and everything's available. And they're like, why didn't you see this? Are you kidding me? Right, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm getting bombarded by things. Well, and it's, you know... It, it, once again, I go back to the question of, you know, how in the hell does a building get that on fire? I mean, we're, we're five, six minutes away. Right. And the entire second and third floor are on fire. And I think, I'm, I can't remember. I, I want to say they looked at, there was something with the the owner was having some kind of a rent dispute mm-hmm. or, or something with the townhome owner. And it got, it started turning into a, maybe this was intentional. She painted the walls with gasoline. Something, but you you know, you pull up and the whole second and third floor are on fire and it's just, how did we get here? Right. You know? Or, or, I mean, we had a fire just a couple nights ago uh, that there was video all over Facebook of that, uh, you know, it's three floors of an apartment building on fire. How in the hell? I'll tell you, I've been involved, and we all have, in multiple, multiple fires, whether you're going back for the second time to the same fire or it was the initial fire where you look at the fire load and you look at the building and you look at your experience and your knowledge and the studies, and you say that. How is it possible? And I know oftentimes, and I've been involved in these fires myself, where I'm going back to the same fire, and I'm going, there's no way you can progress at this point. Somebody had to have done something. And uh, part of that comes with the pride of going, we did a great job. There's no way it could be here. Or you get there and it's so well involved and you have such a good coverage in your district, your area. Man, yeah. there's no way somebody had to do something with this. And, and I was very humbled by a fire that uh, the same thing happened. And when the investigation with videos and pictures and everything played out, no, it's not an arson fire. <laughs> it just it progressed to that point. You know, they take the wind conditions and they do this right. and they go, yep, here's what happened. This thing was not uh, maliciously reset or set this is what the cause of it and it's almost 
it, it, like we were speaking earlier, if you can put ego aside and have some humility and, and really look at it and go, okay, I just learned a lot about fire dynamics. I really didn't think about this the whole Charlie side of the structure is eaten up, which is allowing these 12 hour, 12 mile per hour winds come through there and, and you know, it shows the progression. And all of a sudden you got this involvement where most would have said, nah, somebody said that. So, uh, you know, that's that's something that to me was right. uh, kind of a humble pie going, yay. All right, so for this fire, Bill's takeaways are? Uh, don't misjudge the building construction. I, I sh- It was a new building, and I knew at the time new building meant shitty, excuse me, building construction or inexpensive building construction that's not a, not exactly set up to withstand fire conditions. Uh, but that firewall lulled me into thinking that the building was stronger than it was. And uh, I, I was okay with the... It, it wasn't that I wasn't thinking about how much water was going into the building. I was okay with it. And that was not the right thing to be thinking, you know. Um, like I said, I wouldn't change my tactics on it. I think the tactics were, were good. Uh, but I should have anticipated the collapse. I should have known it was going to happen. That, you know, we're putting this much water. It's got damage to the third floor. It's coming down. It's just a moment. It's a matter of, you know, when. And then it'd be, you know, much better to be proven wrong when it doesn't collapse. Right. You right. know, than to be surprised uh, like I was when it did come down. What about, like I said, you know, uh, pride or lack of wanting to let crews down, you know, on tactical decisions? Yeah, that was probably one of my first, uh, that was probably one of my first where I started thinking, you know what, it's not worth worrying about the pride thing or the ego thing, um, you know, that I'd much rather be okay not killing uh, right. a friend. And taking the the hit to my ego that you know yeah from the guys when you go to the station exactly, the next day know, yeah yeah he's only fights fire from the outside right. well it's not true look at that lighter pipe bill yeah it's, it's, <laughs> you know and it's it's one fire you know you can have a career of interior I got the stove on bill don't get the lighter yeah. pipe out <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um, you know and I think I can't remember if we've talked about it but you know the same thing can be applied to, to maydays you know. Um, right. I think people that are very hesitant to call a mayday will be in trouble because they will be labeled forever and ever. You know, and I, I always make the the point uh, in a class that I teach. You know, you're going to retire, and they're going to write on the on the cake. You know, mayday bill. You right. know, because you called a mayday years ago when you actually got yourself out of a situation. But you know. You know, so it is. It's that pride thing. It's the, it's that ego that makes us. It's make a cultural shift for us too. I mean, right. we, we like to you know bust each other's chops, and I think there's some value in that. But uh, sure, but you, it shouldn't be how you make your decisions. Well, and my point, but I've done it too. I'm not saying right. Personally, right. we all I, have. I, I think we all have. It. But I think my point with the mayday is that you know by not calling that mayday when you're first when you first think that you're in trouble by not going ahead and notifying command and other crews. You're setting those crews that are going to try and come and, you know, you, that, that writ crew, you are setting them up for failure by delaying and as not much like as possible. we always put the best guys on well, the writ team. That's, you know, that's a, that's <laughs> How a, long do you want to give them yeah, to come exactly. get you? And you know what? I'll, I'll forecast this, and, I, and I'll throw it out there right now. In the future, we'll have the gentleman that was involved in uh, 
the incident you spoke about earlier where he was trapped under something and he could barely breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have him, and it'll be interesting to hear his perspective on how important he feels it is that's to have a crew standing by and everything else. That's a good idea. I thought about that. Yeah. I'll, so, that'd be a good I'll one. commit him now, and he can pick okay. me up later. It's okay. Yeah. All right, that's all I got. Awesome. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, as usual, you can check us out on Facebook. Uh, you look so morose right now. All, huh? You look so morose right now. Well, that's the benefit of uh, That show's work for the day. Look that up. Get back to me. That's the benefit of podcasting. The listeners can't see that. At Hatch CTP. Uh, yeah. Hatch CTP at whatever. So I yeah. Can't <laughs> I can't remember what. At Bill CTP. And are you at Troche CTP? Or? At Troche. Yeah. CTP. It's A-Shane. At, at A-Shane. A-Shane, yeah. I'm still... I'm still disappointed that Combustibill was taken for my... (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculously stupid that I would have worn it proudly. That's hilarious. Uh, Anyway, uh, you can also reach us at info at uh, combustiblepodcast.com if you've got show ideas or questions. And uh, spread the word. You know, Tell other people about what you're listening to. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. Give us any show ideas that you have. Discussions, points uh, that you want to hear our take on. Yeah, you've got a question that's been going around your department or going around your firehouse. Send it to us. Let us. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely give our perspective, our take on it. Doesn't mean it's right or whatever. Just, just how we look at it. Yeah. Chances are, it's probably not going to be right or popular. <laughs> or we might tell you to do something that's not necessarily. Yeah. Right. Uh, all do right. We well, still do this disclaimer at the beginning. Uh, no, these are not the views no, of our no, department. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that was when we were representing a, another organization. Oh, that's right. That's right. And now we're representing ourselves, so there's a yeah, yeah, proudly there's an inherent uh, disclaimer. <laughs> if anybody's ever met me, guaranteed, <laughs> I should have a shirt that says yeah. a disclaimer. You should have a disclaimer shirt. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. You should do like a special. And this is Bill signing off. <laughs> okay. We'll come on.